One day, a poor village woman, driven by love for her Lord, recklessly poured out valuable essence, disregarding the score. And once it was broken and spilled out, fragrance filled all the room, like a prisoner released from his shackles, like a spirit set free from a tomb, broken and spilled out, just for love of you, Jesus, my most precious treasure, lavished on thee, broken and spilled out, and poured out your feet in sweet abandon let me be spilled out and used up for thee Lord you were God's precious treasure his loved and his own perfect son sent here to show us the love of the father just for love it was done and though you were perfect and holy you gave up yourself willingly. You spared no expense for my pardon. You were wasted and used up for me, broken and spilled just for love of me Jesus God's most precious treasure lavished on me broken and spilled out and poured out my feet in sweet abandon Lord you were spilled out and used up for me in 
sweet abandon, let me be spilled out and used up for thee. was uh, worth hearing, wasn't it? Guys, thank you again. Uh, what a what a gift. Don, thanks for you guys uh, all getting together. And I wish, like you said, we ought to sing it three times. <laughs> but uh, thank you again. How many have heard that song before? Yeah. I, uh, I heard it years ago and uh, had the kind of the same impression on me as I could see uh, it was having on you <laughs> because Jesus poured himself out. I want to show you that connection. We're going to do that today in chapter 12 of uh, John. And uh, let's pray. I just feel the need to pray. Just here. Lord Jesus, uh, our hearts have been moved as we're reminded that what Mary did, as extravagant as it was, you did for us. You were spilled out and broken for us. With sweet abandon, you did this. And so we enter into our study of what you're saying and what you're doing with a sense of awe and with a sense of wonder and with a sense of, could that be true for me? is that you could value me and love me so much that you would, with sweet abandon, be broken and spilled out. We thank you, Lord Jesus, and those words seem empty with what you did. But we honor you and thank you and uh, ask that you would help us to live and understand that reality every day. Help us to relive it. Help us to understand it in our lives. We pray this in the strong and mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Uh, John 12. um, The connection there for me, and I'm going to go forward and I'm going back, but but the connection there for me uh, in John 12, as I've read this and studied this over the last uh, several weeks, Uh, Mary's willingness to pour out herself, her her, her perfume, this incredible gift, uh, seems to me to be demonstrated also in Jesus. If you're there in John chapter 12, again, we're we're probably not going to get there today, but here's the connection. Here's the connection. Uh, I told Becky this, we were walking the other day, and I said, here's the amazing thing about Jesus, is that, He accepts that gift from Mary. But he's going to do the same thing in a more remarkable way as he models for us pouring himself out. Look, later in chapter 12, we'll come back to that. There were some uh, uh, Greeks that said they'd like to talk to, say, sir, we we would see Jesus. And when that statement is made in verse uh, uh, 21, uh, Jesus then answers and says, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. We're going to talk about that. 
He said, truly I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. And I believe, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that Jesus is talking about Himself. He's saying, I've got to die. In order for me to bear fruit, I'm going to die. And, and, and so the, I, the, the sense of which Mary's pouring out is a prefiguring or a pre-understanding of what Jesus did in a more remarkable and an incredible way. He leads us in that. He, he, he will lead us in that. I, I hope to show you that connection. Uh, and we'll do that. But I, I just thought that song was uh, too important to not hear. And I hope, uh, I, I tell you why, because I, one of the things is, ever since I thought about it, I've been singing it all week. And, and uh, you'll sing it this week. And I encourage you to sing it and think it and hear it. Now, don't sing, some of you don't sing out loud, please. Okay. <laughs> I've heard you. John 12, after that great event, John 12, 12. In this uh, discussion we're in called Conversations with Jesus, on the next day, after, uh, after uh, this had happened at, uh, Lazarus, at, at Mary's house, a, a large crowd who had come to the feast, this is the Passover, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, they took branches and palm leaves and went out to meet Him and began to sing and shout, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. Jesus, finding a young donkey, sat on it as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. These things his disciples did not understand at first, but when he was glorified, they remembered, and these things were written of him, that they had done these things to him. So the people who were with him when, they just, when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to testify about him. For this reason also the people went and met him because they heard that he performed the signs. So the Pharisees said to one another, You see that what you are doing is not any good. Look, the world has gone after him. Now, when they were, now there were some Greeks among them who were going up to worship at the feast. These then came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and began to ask him, saying, Sir, we would see Jesus. And Philip came and told Andrew, and Philip came and told Jesus. And Jesus answered and said, The hour has come. The Son of Man is to be glorified. So I want to look at this as this kind of working forward, if you will, uh, from this uh, event uh, with Mary. And, and here's what I think might be happening if, if this idea, and this is adjusting to reality. Adjusting to reality. There's some things going on in this text that as I see them, as I'm looking at them, I, I think that what's happening is that Jesus and this event is adjusting some people. Now, we all think, you know, we live in reality. Uh, you know, a lot of times uh, when couples will come to me, I've told you before, and, and say, uh, Cliff, we'd like for you to marry us. And I say, what? I can't. I'm already married. That's just a weird request. <clears throat> I know what they mean. <clears throat> and I say, well, let's talk about this and let's do some counseling and talk about that on the front end uh, to see what, what we can do if, if, if in case, you know, we, we, we think that's a good idea. I always tell them, my job is to talk you out of it if I can. You know, that's the reality. And I always say, I said, here's the problem. You, you want to talk to me about a wedding and I want to talk to you about a marriage. 
And so <clears throat> the reality of those discussions, sometimes, you know, that we, we're just talking to stuff. Here's what's interesting. I'll say to some couples, hey, listen, what I'd like to do with you is meet with you six months after you get married. You know why? Now you know. <clears throat> right? What do we call that? Reality. <laughs> yeah? Now you know. I mean, I remember in our marriage, there were some things I learned about Becky. I didn't know. There's some things she learned. So, so life has a way of adjusting our reality, doesn't it? It's got to, got to, and sometimes we struggle with it. I think sometimes sickness does that to some of us. You know, for however we've got in our head, we're going to live forever. You know, the reality is what? You're not, right? I heard a guy say the other day, he was talking about, uh, with his family, said, you know, I bought some life insurance in case something happens to me. <laughs> right. <clears throat> yeah, that'd be a good idea. In case something were. I mean, reality is hard. I mean, reality sometimes it, it is difficult for us to handle. And sometimes it forces itself on us. Now, I want to suggest to you in this situation, these conversations with Jesus, there is a reality that in some sense, I think, is being forced upon people. And here it is. Let's start with the first one right here. It's this. It's adjusting to the nature of salvation. You'll notice here in this story, and you've probably heard it a lot of times, and it would have been nice if we could have gotten here by Palm Sunday, but we didn't. Um, who would have thought? This, <laughs> I, I was hoping to get to it by the 4th of July. And uh, <clears throat> this story of the triumphal entry of Jesus coming in, you, and you can read this, how that he comes in, and you're, you may be familiar, if you're not, that's okay, how that <clears throat> with all that Jesus had done and all of the uh, and wonderful things that he had accomplished, and among the common people, there was a, 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 a growing sense in which this might be the Messiah. I mean, some of the people even say, you know, what else is the Messiah going to do? This guy hasn't done. And so as he comes in, there are several things that begin to happen. Uh, he comes in, it says, and they begin to shout Hosanna, which, which in, it means save now. Save us now. It's calling out. It's a, it's a call out. Lord, save us now. Uh, th- there's a sense in which they, they feel like, we, you know, we need to be saved. We'll talk about what that means. This is also, if you've been around here before and heard Terry teach or others, that on, on this day, this day of, if you will, of Jesus entering, is also the first day here of the Passover, that it is the day which uh, Jews called Lamb Selections Day. Lamb Selection Day. This is the day during the Passover that families would select the lamb that they're going to use at Yom Kippur for the sacrifice for their sin. There's a lot of imagery here, a lot of foretelling that on this day, the day of Lamb Selection Day, Jesus rides in as what? The Lamb of God. He's a king, but He's also a lamb. He's come in on this very significant day they begin to shout out, Hosanna. Interesting here, to notice here, uh, I was telling some guys one time, he comes in on a donkey. Now, when I think of this, I think of Festus Hagen. And, uh, you know, I know that has probably ruined your sense of this lesson right now, but Ruby, you know, or Ruth, rather Ruth, riding Ruth. Whether you know it or not, you may know this, that in the ancient world, in the ancient world, a donkey is a noble animal. And it is the steed, not of a big white stallion like the Romans like to ride, or a you know a big stomping prince and horse, you know like John Wayne would ride. It's the horse that a king of nobility 
would ride. Donkeys were considered noble steeds, and kings rode them. Now, if gun smoke is any resource here <coughs> at all, if you ever hear Fess ever talk about it, because they have a really smooth gait. They ride smooth. But here Jesus is allowing them to say, save us. And here Jesus is allowing them to, uh, or he goes in on a, on a, on a donkey, which uh, is part of verse 15 here, the fulfillment of, uh, of Zephaniah. Now think about this. Here's a picture I want you to see. Um, I'll come back to that. When, when Jesus was coming in to Jerusalem, and some of our folks, uh, the heirs and others, have just gotten back from Israel. I think I mentioned I've been there. But uh, <clears throat> this would be, and I have a picture on my camera. This is, I got to, this is not my picture. But when Jesus was coming in, He would have been coming down the Mount of Olives, over from Bethany, down the Mount of Olives, and would be seeing this as He kind of came down. Here is, in this area, what they call the Kidron Valley, and this is the Eastern Gate. It's interesting here. Just some interesting history. This is the Eastern Gate. This is the Al-Aqsa uh, uh, Mosque, um, uh, which is built over where the temple was at one point. This is the Muslim Mosque here where it was built. It's built over. So this Eastern Gate here is the understanding of where the Messiah would come. He would come down the Mount of Olives and come into this here. Now, what's interesting about history is you'll notice there's not a gate there anymore. Not a gate there anymore. When Jerusalem was ruled by Islam, uh, one of the things that they did was they stoned up the gate. Because the Jewish thought is the Messiah, just in case he makes it. <laughs> See, I mean, the idea here is this is a very significant spot Jesus is in. So under the four, in the 1400s when Islam, uh, uh, I forgot the guy's name, just lost it. When, when he was controlling this area, they went and they sealed this eastern gate up. Not because they think he'll come back, but just in case. <laughs> so Jesus is coming in an area here where, I mean, the excitement is bizarre. Hosanna, he's on a donkey, he's fulfilling Zephaniah. He's coming right down here, would come in this eastern gate. Again, where the Messiah is going to come in. Now, here, here's what I want you to ask here, because I think this is where the reality is. Well, here it is. Sorry. I love Mac. Brown. <clears throat> here we go. Salvation, what is it? Let me suggest to you something here that I think Jesus is doing and continues to do. Widespread thought among the Jewish people this day, when they say save us, they mean get the military of Rome out of here. Let us rule ourselves. Save us from the occupiers. Now what's fascinating about that is this, is that Jewish people at that time, and there are some to this same day, they believe that the Messiah's salvation... The, the adjustment here of the nature of salvation, that salvation is essentially understood as a political, uh, political victory. And Jesus will have none of that. If you want to go look at this later in, 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 in John, I'll get my place here, in John 18.36, Jesus made this startling statement to Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. 
If it was, my people would fight. My kingdom is not of this world. See, they want to be saved from what? The Romans. The Romans. Now, if you study Jewish history and check the Maccabees and some of these other guys, they didn't do that great of a job ruling themselves. And the notion here of adjusting to reality here, say, what is salvation? Is it that we would be able to be ruled by ourselves? I wrote this this way. Widespread thought among the Jews is that salvation was going to be the removal of the occupiers and the establishment of a government that would be led by Israel. This would fix everything, except everything. Right? Jesus came to set up a kingdom in the hearts of people, in the lives of people, that superseded every other government. Now, I may go to meddling here just for a second, but just forgive me. You know, the thoughts and opinions of this teacher are not necessarily thoughts and opinions across the community church. It's elders or leadership. I am not a person that believes in isolationism. Just forget everybody and just sit around and read the Bible. But I do think some of us at times think that if we could just get the right government in place, or the right people in place, the right things in place, or the right persons in place, everything would be fine. I want to tell you, I don't believe that's true. I'm not saying that we shouldn't have civil righteousness. I'm not saying we shouldn't have civil, civil uh, order. I'm saying that the kingdom that we belong to saves us, not just from some occupier, or not just some political system, but from ourselves to the king. I, I, I told you this before, I just got to remind you, one semester at the university, I remember looking around in a room that I was teaching. I sometimes do that. I had a student from Myanmar, which is one of the most closed down countries in the world. It's Burma, Myanmar, they change the names all the time over there. <clears throat> so, you know, the, the highway departments have a great time. Okay, it's Burma today, it's Myanmar next week. <clears throat> and uh, I, I looked over there, and, I, and I, Kim Nan, who was a young man who was the middleweight boxing champ for the whole country, a country that in, in many ways, uh, was as atheistic as you can be. And yet, through some people and situations, he met Jesus and was a follower of Jesus. That same room had a young lady named Helena Capo. Capo, Capo, I can't remember. She's from Romania. No, I'm sorry, Al- Albania. I get all those e- anias. Albania. Helena was from Albania. Now, Albania in the 1970s burned every church down, every mosque down, and every worship center in the the country and said, we're going to be the first completely non-religious country in the world. And she's a follower of Jesus. And and so I said, Helena, how did that happen? And she said, well, my family, I don't remember the name of the river, you know, I think I do, but I don't. So maybe the Danube or something. I don't know. One of those rivers. She said, my family would go down to the river to wash our clothes. And Christians, which I understand up in Macedonia, which is above there, would float down gospel tracks down the river. And my parents read it. And we became followers of Jesus. And now she's in the United States studying to be a teacher. Some of y'all may remember Roman Sverdlov. Roman was from Vladivostok, Russia. All these guys are my class. You know, everybody has a take me. 
The only way they can do that is they make them. You know? Nobody volunteers. <laughs> Roman is from Vladivostok, who is a scientist at a university, teaches science, and was brought up in an atheistic culture, and, uh, you know, you know the drill. His mentor that worked with him at the university was killed in a car wreck. And Roman began to ask questions of why am I here and what is life about? And met a guy from Alaska, Church of God guy from Alaska, an African-American fellow we know, and led him to Jesus. He quit his job at the university and started to go down the streets of Vladivostok and preach. He came to school here. Some of y'all may have met him. I don't know if you remember. I think some of y'all have been here long enough. And he went to school. And one day, I'm in the cafeteria eating and goofing around. And I look up and over there, and with a federal work-study deal, because he has to make some money to go to school, he's in there washing dishes. And I'm thinking, there's a scientist trained in Russia who is a follower of Jesus, who is washing dishes in Oklahoma City to go into the ministry. He's in Canada now and working with the church and working with people. The thought occurred to me that day. Let's quit griping and bellyaching about our circumstances and let's be the kingdom of God. Let's talk about Jesus and what He can do. Let's quit burning a lot of energy. And I'm not saying don't be a good citizen. I'm simply saying the answer to our world isn't get in or out who we think is in or out. The answer is to be a part of this kingdom that shall never end. That's where they were messed up. Jesus has got to adjust this thing. You don't understand the kingdom. You don't understand what's going to fix things. It's my kingdom, my rule, my will in the lives of people. I'm not, I'm not saying they're irresponsible. I'm saying we need to be reminded again that the kingdom of God, Jesus' kingdom, will work. Here's what I th- just say. Burma, Albania, Russia. The message of Jesus will work in any totalitarian situation. It'll work anywhere. It has. It will. It does. So I've been asking myself, just, just recently, you know, our culture seems to be going more secular like that. You know what? I just want to, I, I'm just saying, Cliff, you need to talk more about Jesus. You just need to talk more about Jesus. You just need to tell people, there is this king I serve. His name is Jesus. His kingdom is not. So, so what is it? Is, it? is it just get our circumstances changed? That's what the Jewish people that's why they missed him. That, that's why we miss him if we're not careful. That we think it's changed my circumstances, changed the situation, instead of saying, let the kingdom come, save now, oh God. Okay, now here's the other thing, and this, this might not surprise you. Who's included? It's hard to imagine, I think, at, at some level, that we, that we think... You know, has anybody been watching AD, the, the series? I have. I mean, you know, I, I like the book better, but uh, <laughs> this one. <clears throat> I like the book. But they've done a, a, a fairly interesting job of showing some of the, the, the tendency and, if you will, the, the exclusiveness of how Jewish people thought of themselves in terms of we're in, 
we're, we're God's people. Notice here what it says that in chapter 12 here, after they come in, he says, and all the people were following, and the Pharisees said, hey, the whole world's going toward him. Now that's, a, that's an exaggeration. But notice here, if you will, the whole world has gone after him. Then in verse 12, now there were some Greeks among those who were going to worship at the feast. Greeks. They want to see Jesus. Uh, you know, it's fascinating here that, that, that who's included here in this idea is the Pharisees are afraid the whole world's going after him. And he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Remember that? Not the sin of just some people, not just the sin of these kind of folks. He's taken away the sin of the world. And, and this exclusivism, this sense of we're it and nobody else is. You have to come to us, or you can't be one. Jesus is starting to rock that world. To the extent that these Greek people are saying, we would see Jesus. By the way, there's a great little book you ought to read someday by a guy named Roy Hessian. H-E-S-S-I-O-N, named We Would See Jesus. It is one of the most powerful books I've ever read in my life. I read it 30 years ago. I keep going back to it. We Would See... takes this whole idea. We Would See Jesus. Fascinating here. Now, who are these guys? The Greeks. You say, well, are they Greeks who had become proselytes. You know, in other words, a Greek person that says, okay, I want to become a part of the people of God. I've got to be circumcised, and then I've got to be baptized, and then uh, uh, accept all that. And there were lots of people that were proselytes, we call them. They were converts. I don't know. You know, it says right here, it said there were some Greeks who were going up to worship at Jerusalem. Now, that's fascinating because... The idea of worship, proskuneo, or the, the Greek idea of to go up and, and give honor to God. If you trace this idea of going up to worship, it doesn't always correspond to Jewish people. It, it, it's a word, for, for instance, here, here's an example. In Acts chapter 8, verse 26. In Acts chapter 8, verse 26, there's the story of an Ethiopian eunuch who Philip, the Spirit tells me to talk. And it says there, go read it later. And a eunuch, you know, is a person whose sexual organs have been removed or been born this way. Okay? That person, that kind of mutilation, they cannot enter the temple to worship. You know, the inner... You can't be a prostitute. You can't have converted and go in and worship with that kind of mutilation. Go read Leviticus. You can't go in. And yet, in chapter 8 of Acts, it says, this one, who was an Ethiopian eunuch, had gone up to Jerusalem to worship. He hadn't gone into the temple in the inner area. He was likely, as anyone would be, the court of the Gentiles or the women. Now, now you know what? In Jewish thinking, was that really worshiping? No. You've got to get into the inner court. See, here, here's the idea. Who's in and who's out? Who's in and who's out? We, we struggle with this all the time. Who's in? Who's out? That's why we've got our list. That's why we've got all, all of, our, of, our, of our barriers to people to say, who's in and who's out? Listen, you know, if you're not in the church of God, which is the best, you're not in. You don't believe that. I don't believe that. The, these Greeks 
could be Greeks who were, the Bible calls them in Acts, God-fearers. God-fearers. They, they just had a, enough understanding there was, there was a God that, that there was one that they, they knew they would give an account to someday, that there was a presence. Go read Romans 2. And you'll hear about these guys that, that says they, they have the law written on their heart. Even though they don't have the law, they have it written on their heart. Hey, here's, a, here's a hard thing for these Jewish people to hear. Paul says that if people who are outside, not, not part of the Jewish faith, if they obey the law written on their heart, whatever that means, they'll be justified. Go read it. See, the justice and the mercy of God says, if you don't know, if you haven't heard, if you don't have the law, if you'll obey the law written on your heart. See, that, that idea is craziness to Jewish people. Because if you're not circumcised and you don't keep the law and you don't have the Torah, you're out. Now, now think about this. What, 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 Paul is, what Jesus is saying here is what Paul is trying to reiterate in chapters 2 of Romans. He's saying this, if those people who are on the outside, according to Jewish thinking, obey the law written on their heart, he's saying it's possible. It doesn't mean they all will. They'll be justified. Is that, is that all nerve-wracking to you? Yeah. Why? Because we, we I, know what, I know some of the thinking you're having. It's a little nerve-wracking because am I saying, I'm trying to say what Paul says, that this whole thing about salvation is bigger than we thought. And that God will judge people according to what they know. And if they know the law written on their heart, they've got to obey it. I asked this question in seminary. I don't know if I told you that. I asked this question one time in seminary. I said, then let's not go to the mission field and leave them alone. <laughs> right? Leave them alone. Because once they hear and once they understand, if they reject it, bad. It's bad. Dr. Trainer looked at me and said this in front of everybody, which as an extrovert, I know you know I didn't bother me. He said, uh, Mr. Sanders, you're revealing more to us about you than you want us to know. <laughs> and I said, and that would be, I mean, it really doesn't bother me. I mean, it, to really offend, you have to run over me with a freight train. You have to say to me, hey, I'm fixing to offend you. I want to offend you. I'm desiring to offend you. Are you understanding that? Okay. <laughs> then you might offend me. Maybe. Unless I thought it was funny. <laughs> and I'd say, I'm going to use that. Trina said to me, listen, this is where again, who's included in this idea? So, Mr. Sanders, all you think salvation is is going to heaven. How about fellowship with the living Christ now? How about the power of the Holy Spirit now? What about the fellowship of God's people now? What about being involved in something that transcends culture, race, ethnicity, socioeconomic. By this time, I'm saying, I withdraw my question. <clears throat> he nailed me. 
Listen, I'm not, I'm not arguing for some universalism. Except I'll say it this way. Not all roads lead to God. But I believe God will go down any road to find you. I believe God will go down any road to find you. He's going down some roads to some Muslim people who haven't heard, they don't understand who Jesus really is. The latest report I read is there are more Muslim people that have converted to Jesus in the last 10 or 12 years than the last 15 centuries. You know what's happening, right? Got a buddy that was a church started in Colorado Springs. Had a guy from the Naval Academy that was trying to start a church, a brilliant guy. He talked about how people were coming to Jesus in the two-thirds world. It's crazy. And they said, how, what methods are you using? The guy starts laughing. Here's what's happening. Jesus is showing up to people in dreams. I know that worries us. It's scary, isn't it? It doesn't fit our Western mentality. He's showing up in dreams to people, revealing Himself and saying, go down to this place and they will tell you about Me. This is documented. This is happening all around the world. See, not all roads lead to Jesus. But Jesus will go down a road to find you. Listen, He's going down some roads to find animists, people that believe in animism. He's going down some roads of people that are called Christians. Right? He's going down some roads and trying to find some people that call themselves Christians to bring them to an understanding of what it means to follow Jesus. This, who's included? Who's included? The Greeks here who are going up to worship even though they are barred from the inner sanctuary. They're out in the women's area and the Gentile area. This is why Jesus got so worked up when they're selling doves and stuff like that because the people have desecrated the only place that the Gentiles and the women can go. They're selling and they're spending. And Jesus is saying, look, you've got to clear this place out. This is the only place the Gentiles and women can come. Who's included? What if, what if you thought this week? You know, just let, let's think about this. What if this week you read Romans 2? Just spend some time in it. And notice this incredible inclusion. Now, are you, again, don't say what I'm saying. Don't, don't say what I'm not saying. Okay? Don't say what I'm not saying. I'm not saying a person that knows about Jesus, has knowledge of Him, understands who He is, can reject Him and they're fine. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that Jesus and Paul seem to open this door up to say, if people don't know, haven't heard, but they obey the law written on their heart. Can I ask you to do this? Would you approach people with more kindness and humility? Would you be willing to approach people with less judgment? If they don't say all the right words? If they don't make your confession of faith like mine is, or whether it's the Apostles' Creed, would you be willing to say, help me to go through life to find out what's going on in people's hearts? Find out what, what, what's happening. Are they people that j they just don't know what you know? They've not had the opportunity, they've not had the exposure to say, how could I talk to them or understand? They may be included. Let me give you the zinger at the last part of Romans 2. When Paul says this, when those who don't have the law do instinctively what the law says, 
Here it is now. Wait for it. They, the Gentiles, will judge you. Go read it. You know, this is why they kind of wanted to kill Paul. They just didn't want to demote him. He said, the Gentiles who do not have the law, do instinctively what the law says, they will judge you. Think about it. Can you imagine what would be more offensive to a, Gen- to a Jew, a Jewish person who has the law and the commandments and all the things like that? And Paul says to them, because you're not doing and living what you know, and they're doing and knowing what they know, they're going to judge you. They will stand before you on the dead judgment and judge you. Whew, that's some strong medicine, folks. Can we approach people a little differently? With a little more humility? With a little more of, you know what, God may be doing some work in them you don't even know. They they, they, they may be responding to all that they know. And you know what? That's awesome. They're responding to all that they know. I know I'm going to get in trouble with this. But I'm trying to see what Jesus said here and what Paul says. Dick Foth is a great guy. I met at the National Prayer Breakfast and he said like this. He said, Jesus' life attracts me and His words bother me. <laughs> Listen, if Jesus winds you up every once in a while and sets you on your head, I don't think you're reading the Bible. If He doesn't, if he doesn't make some statements sometime that just run right through your mind and your religiosity... You're not reading him. This guy is radical. He is opening the door. In fact, some scholars say this. I'll just give you that that idea. That this idea of the Greeks coming and coming to worship, that this is kind of the signal. Look what happens. When he hears that, what he says, the hour has come. What, What precipitated that? The Greeks. Look at it grammatically. And when Jesus answered saying, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And guess what? We're not finishing that other one. I had four this morning. I put three on there. We're doing two. <laughs> or one. Yeah. So here's, here's the payoff for this week. What if? Or... Have you lost confidence in the gospel? You think it's going to be some political system or some group or some person that's going to fix everything? Have you lost confidence in the gospel? That boy, we just got to mobilize and we got to get this done, we got to get that done. Have you, have you lost confidence in the gospel? Have you go to God and just say, look, I believe the gospel, kingdom of God, the salvation these people wanted is unstoppable. You and I are part of a kingdom that will not end. It means we're going to be good citizens and we're going to be good people and we're going to do our best and we're going to be involved try to find righteousness where we can. But I'm of the opinion that some of the language I hear, and I'm not talking about you guys, I'm talking about as I read and study. I think a lot of people have lost confidence in the gospel. That's why our energy and time is about everything else. We think every other system is going to fix it. It's not. Because it's run by human beings. So have you lost confidence in the gospel? Or would you this week maybe be willing to say something to somebody about Jesus? I think this other thing of inclusion. 
Can we believe that this great God, with people I haven't heard or don't understand, have never, I'm not talking about, you know, when Helene and them talked about those tracks coming down the river, they didn't just read a track. Okay, now you're, now you're under condemnation. No, they understood it. But, but, but would you, could, could we, I'll include myself in this, could we sort of approach people differently? With a, maybe a little more humility? Find out what they do know before we start making assumptions. Find out what they do know. And what, what have they really done before we begin to analyze and offer them some kind of solution. I think it make a world of difference in the way we deal with people. Because we need to know who's in. Remember, we have a real tendency as human beings to make barriers for people, and, and you've got to sound like I do. I'll, I'll, be, I'll, I'll, I'll end with this. I'll, I'll never forget, years ago, I'm, I'm a, uh, because I signed a contract to university and all like that, I'll never, I don't drink alcohol at all. Becky would be scared to death what I would be like with that. <laughs> don't you know? Woo! <clears throat> That'd be scary. So I... I but part of my contract for the university is I, I make an agreement. I do that. I'm going to live by it. The Church of God, which we're a part of, we're having our big convention in a week or so or something like that. There'll be all these people, blah, 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 here. Anyway, uh, I'll never forget. I mean, we're, it's, it's been a pretty rigid, pretty, pretty conservative, we're a pretty conservative group by, by, by nature. I'll never forget when I found out that Church of God people in Germany drank beer. I thought they were lost, <laughs> they're going to hell. You know why? Because I, I had this little list. Wait a minute, that's on the list, right? I mean, I, I've, I've since grown up. But you know, that's kind of a silly thing in, in some ways. I mean, not, not silly in that it's, it's not dangerous. At times, there are people that struggle with it every day. But I mean, I, I was of the opinion, if you drank a beer after you mowed the yard, you know, you're going to hell. Where did I get that? You know, as I read the scriptures and as I read that, I think, you know, I've got all these barriers and these lists. Instead of talking to a person, find out what's in their heart. What do you know? What, what, what do you understand? That's been my journey that I've had to, to, to slow down and stop and just treat people with a little more respect and find out before I start answering questions they're not asking. <laughs> Have you done that? It's a big thing. It comes back again to adjusting to the nature of salvation. What is it? Is it just heaven? Do you just get your p- ticket punched and now you're on the train and you're going? Or is it a life now? <clears throat> Let's pray. Lord Jesus, You disturb us in some good ways. And in some ways that require us to maybe think or rethink uh, some of the things we think we know. I pray that you'd guard me and all of us from any extremes. And you'd help us to listen to you and your word. All of it. Not the parts we like. Not the parts that fit our group. But all of it. That will take courage on my part. I know it will take courage on all of our parts. Help us this week to face the real challenge of adjusting to reality.
Not what we've made it, but what it is. In terms of what is salvation and who's in it. And we pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.